Jim Britt and Jim Lutz had a vision, and the Change Book series was developed. Welcome to the Change Book Radio Show with your host, Work-Life Balance Specialist, Deb Crow. Join Deb Weekly, where she interviews the top co-authors from all over the globe who share their insights into self-empowerment with life-enhancing realizations that will touch every area of your life. We're live every Wednesday on Blog Talk Radio at 1.30 Eastern Standard Time. Well, good afternoon, everybody, and I can't believe we're back already. It's been a week. It's January 13th, and it is very chilly in Canada. That's probably a little bit of an understatement. Uh, I'm looking out my, my window here, and we are just covered in a beautiful white blanket of snow and finally seeing the true colors of uh, old man winter. So on that note, we have an amazing show for you today. We have two dynamic co-authors. One is from book two and the other is from book five. So I'd like to take a moment and introduce our first co-author and tell you a little bit about her. I'm excited to interview her because she had a radio show and interviewed me a number of months ago and I just really enjoyed our conversation. So our first co-author is Andrea Isaacs and she's from book two. And she's the creator of an amazing website called anyemotion.com. She's been a trustworthy guide in the personal and spiritual realms for 30 years. Her students have called her a spiritual teacher extraordinaire. She has developed an easy-to-use tool system for different themes that most frequently throw people off their center including ineffective communication styles, being too direct or not speaking up, over or under expressing anger, issues with asking for support and unblocking the expression of and the ability to receive love. Andrea understands transformation and skillfully brings people to the core of their issues, guiding their return to wholeness and balance. So, Andrea, it's so nice to be on the other side of the mic and interviewing you. So welcome. Hi, Deb. Well, thank you. It's wonderful to be here, and I'm appreciating the reciprocity of this, too. Well, I know when you interviewed me, I just found it was a, just an intriguing, intellectually stimulating interview. So I am hope that I'm going to be able to give you the same. So you're oh, one of the foundational you. co-authors, in, in my opinion, because... You're in book two, so so you're at the beginning. So would you share with the listeners, just give us a, a an overview of what your area of passion and business is? Sure. Well, you know, it's funny to be in a book series called Change because that's what my work really addresses, in particular emotional change. But, you know, even if change happens, if it's external, maybe you get fired or, you, or you're moving or something happens on the outside, part of the challenge is still the emotional reaction to what arises. And when we have our emotional reactions, often that takes us away from our happiness, the ease and inner peace and happiness that we really want. And I think it's that the wholeness, the joy of life that is what my work helps people have more of more consistently and when we lose it to get back to it more quickly. And I have uh, some techniques that I've created that I think are really effective in helping us have uh, more ease, peace, and joy. 
Well, and I one of the things that I love about talking to you and reading your writings is you're just so passionate and it comes out when you talk. And I know that you and I had spoke before about emotional intelligence and and all the little inroads, as I like to call them, that's associated with that. And I think you've almost become a master teacher within the realm of communication. Is that a, is that a fair assumption? Well, thank you for that. I hadn't been called that to my face before. <laughs> but I think, you know, I, I would like to agree with that. Thank you. <laughs> well, and I, and I always look back to one of the things that I first learned many, many years ago from Jim Britt. And I just had a conversation this morning with one of my clients and saying that a lot of different industries and a lot of different, I'm even going to use medicine as an example. We're going back to history. We're going back to the roots of where we came from. And I think one of the things that I'd love to hear you weigh in on is, is technology, because I think for people that have not been able to integrate communication for whatever reason, and I mean, you would be the best person to eloquently talk about that. I think for for some people, hiding behind the computer is an easy thing where others, like myself, when you're an entrepreneur, you have to get out to networking events. And I think communication is one of those skills that we have to work on every day. Do you mind just talking about that for a little bit? Well, I couldn't agree with you more than that. I think one of my goals in life is to constantly be improving how I communicate um, because I was shy for decades of my life. And that means really that I wasn't a great communicator because I wouldn't speak up for myself. I was afraid to let people know my opinion because maybe you disagree and you wouldn't like me anymore. Or if I was angry, I was afraid I might offend someone. I, for so many reasons, I didn't speak up and I wasn't um, so I wasn't communicating well, and I didn't have the relationships I really wanted. And as, actually, it's the work that I've created that uh, helped me stay present when I wanted to withdraw. And by simply staying present, I found, um, again, by using some of these tools, I could be more specific, but by using these tools, I was able to really speak my voice without fear. And it started to change my life. And um, it's, it's, I've done this for so long now that when, I, when someone pushes my buttons, I can feel the, the whole series of reactions that anybody would have when someone makes you really angry. I would feel the anger. I would feel the justice of my anger. You know, that's one of the reasons that so many of us get attached to our anger, anger because we're self-righteous in our opinion. Uh, um, so I would feel that, and then I would, you know, re- I, I knew I didn't want to go where that kind of conversation would go if I allowed that emotion. I'd take a breath in, and on the exhale, I would just breathe it all out, and something different would occur next. Um, so I had a whole series of emotional reactions in one breath. And so I could diffuse, and it doesn't mean to repress or ignore a situation because I would still stay present and speak to whatever the issue was. But in one breath, I could pr- like process and shift and release and transform whatever it was that had um, that was arising that I knew I wasn't going to like. And so the time, um, the span of time that that takes over has gotten over time. It's taken less and less and less and less time. Now it doesn't mean I'm perfect at it, but I would say it's uh, has made such a huge difference in all of my relationships and how I live my life. Well, and I can attest to feeling the same way, and it always amazes me at the height of any any stress in our life or any trauma we may experience. It's a beautiful thing when you can sit in silence and take a few deep breaths like you just 
masterfully did and said. And, and people, I don't think, realize sometimes the physiological change and what that does. It's almost like a cognitive reset to say, it's okay, let's just calm the body, calm the mind, let's calm the soul, we're, we're going to get through this. It's almost like Sandy Mitchell uh, eloquently last week called it really mastering your inner genius. And, and I loved that because I thought it's, it's that self-talk, those affirmations that help us get through those times. But really, it's just a habitual process that you have to adapt into your lifestyle, isn't it? Well, yes. And I want to comment on something you said and add on to it. So, um, yeah, breathing is always good. We can't live without it. And when we do that long, full, conscious, deep breath, it really can help diffuse something. And that's, that's kind of a generic um, shift and sometimes anything to help shifting uh, a potentially challenging or difficult confrontational conversation is good. And I mean, shifting it into a place of, uh, of calm, addressing challenging issues with calm. Um, but, but because this is about changing our reactivity, we're actually needing to change the brain or more, more specifically changing the subconscious. And if we want to do that, what we do has to meet these criteria. What we do has to be short, easily repeatable, and deeply personal. And in the work I do, I help people create mantras. That's a word or phrase. That's a Sanskrit term. And also a mudra. That's also Sanskrit. And usually it's a prayer or meditation position. But in this work, we can take a live creative license. So it's any body position can be a mudra that supports that mantra. And the reason we do this is that we come up with short phrases that are deeply personal. It's like, what would help this particular person? And they come up with it themselves. Of what is you know like exactly the the little thing that would make that huge shift for you, and because we work with the body and the body has a different kind of intelligence, my approach is always is always about listening to the body's wisdom, because if we want to change and we haven't done it yet, it's because the thinking mind can't always figure it out, and when the thinking mind can't figure it out, we've got to do something different. So anyway, we use, listen to the body's wisdom. The body informs the mind with some mantra that you never could have thought of. Um, I can give you some examples in a moment, but because it's short and they do repeat it easily, they practice it and as they practice it and practice it and practice it, they're training that neural pathway, just like you strengthen your muscles when you go to a gym and you're lifting weights. And it is deeply personal. So this, this, those are some of the reasons this work is really profound and, um, and lasting in terms of the change that you want. Um, can I give you an example, Deb? Oh, please do. And I love I love the connection and the imagery that you just gave between the wise mind and the emotional mind, because I think once people learn that, it's the foundation of, of coping and being and getting through things. And I'd, I'd absolutely love a couple of examples. Oh, great. Yay. <laughs> I, I think this really illustrates it and makes it come alive for people. So this, uh, this first example is a man, um, I'll call him Dan. He was dealing with lifelong anxiety issues. Um, when he was 18 months old, he was severely beaten over and over and over again. Uh, he was quite bright uh, throughout his life. He was really, really intelligent, worked hard, but he always pushed people away. And, you know, when you look at the history, you can understand why people weren't safe. And uh, there was this uh, constant anxiety, and he didn't want to take drugs. His doctors were telling him to, and he didn't want that. And he was in analysis four times a week for a long time, and it wasn't addressing his anxiety. 
So we did some work together, and uh, by listening to his body, uh, I was asking questions about what it, uh, what his body, the energy in his body usually feels like. And he says, well, a part of me always wants to fight. And I was allowing him to feel that fighting energy because there's something about drawing from that uh, disturbing emotion. It's like creating an antidote. Like if you're creating an antidote to a flu virus, you take some flu um, that you put into the antidote. And then it's like curing like, and then you get the right uh, antidote and you're the right, um, um, what, um, not vaccine, but um, I'm only thinking of the homeopathy right now. But it's a feature, the same, it's like curing like. And so we have to take some of that disturbing energy. In his case, it was, I want to fight. And then he didn't want to let go, but he wanted to let go. And as we did this process, his wanting to fight started to dissolve and then he started pushing pushing something away from him and, and the energy of wanting to fight grounded him which he was really needing so he, his feet got really grounded and his arms opened wide that's what his body wanted to do he didn't want to fight really it was his safety mechanism that he needed for so long and that was so patterned so deeply patterned into his brain and his body but he needed some of the energy of that to feel grounded and so there he stood with his feet wide apart, his solidly planted on the ground, and his arms were open and wide. And I asked him to find a mantra that, that captured that energy. And this is how the body informs the mind. So as he felt that energy, he said these words, I am strong and I am mellow. So he found his strength and he calmed down in a way that analysis never really helped. And so... In that, if we're challenged or we need to do something really quickly, all he needs to do, for instance, if he starts to feel that anxiety, certainly take that deep breath in. And then if he says, even quietly in his mind, I am strong and I am mellow. What happens is the brain remembers what his body was doing when he came up with it. His brain remembers and energizes that particular neural pathway, which he is trained and strengthened with practice, because practice is useful. And as that neural pathway gets energized, it changes how he thinks, how he feels, and how he shows up in life. And he can be strong and mellow. And it really did start addressing his anxiety. Well, what what a powerful example of some of the modalities that you've put together. And it, it certainly sounds for that gentleman that that was uh, beyond a breakthrough. And I'm sure his quality of life and just his ability to move forth cognitively and emotionally is is just remarkable. That's that's a very interesting um, example of some of the work that you do. Now, I just want to talk about your chapter for a minute, but uh, but but I have to make a connection for you. There is a co-author in book five, which is the book that I was in, and her name is Dakara Keys. Have you connected with her? No. Spell her last name. K I E S. I don't, I'll go look for her. So it's Dakara, um, D-A-K-A-R-A. There is a tremendous amount of synergy in the work that you are doing to what she is doing. And I think smoke will rise when the two of you connect. I just, I'm listening to you and it's bringing, it's bringing me back to the interview that I had with her. So please reach out and connect or I'll be happy to connect the two of you on Facebook, um, but you definitely have to connect because I see the two of you doing something together because it's uh, it's pure, it's almost a serendipitous moment for me right now because it's I'm listening and it's bringing me right back to, uh, to the 
the interview. So I will I will make that intro. Well, thank now, you, and I'm really interested and excited to talk with her. Yeah, she's a very interesting lady. Now, I want to just talk about your chapter for a minute, because you're in book two, and your chapter is entitled Body Wisdom for Creating Lasting Change. And you are certainly giving us little snippets of the chapter you wrote, which is full of all types of modalities and barriers and just it's really beautifully written and I loved it's funny that you talked about the mantra and the mudra I hope I'm pronouncing that right that was the the section that I actually wanted to to read out and it's it'll be interesting if Dakar is listening today because she talks a lot about this as well so I would just like to read a little bit of that for the listeners so (laughs) traditionally a mantra is a word or phrase that induces a state of resourceful awareness. Om is perhaps the most well-known mantra for meditation, but I believe that any word or phrase that enhances your awareness, focus, and a resourceful intention can serve as a useful personal mantra. Traditionally, a mudra is a prayer or meditation position used to enhance your inner state. I believe that you can custom design a body position that expresses and amplifies your desired inner state. And I know you talked a little bit about this, but I'm so intrigued. And is this a modality that you often intertwine when you're assessing clients? Can you just talk about that for a minute? See, it's not so much that when I'm assessing, but when I'm working with a client. Um, uh, in terms of assessing, um, that what, what comes up for me is understanding their personality. And uh, as they describe to me what their issues are, what their challenges are, and I also hear what their strengths and their gifts are. But as I hear those things, I often have an idea what their personality type is based on the Enneagram personality system. Um, that is, uh, or at least initially, was a foundation of my work. I was very interested in exploring the relationship between personality and the body and how different personality types hold and use energy differently. And when we're happy, our energy is very different than when we're sad or angry or resentful or nurturing or uh, attentive. You know, they all have different energies. Um, My first professional career was I I was a modern dancer and choreographer, and I liked to create dances that were about people and relationships. And so I was very aware of how to use energy in the body. And so when I came across this personality system, I... um, I combined the two, essentially. So any emotion, that's E-N-N-E-A, motion, M-O-T-I-O-N, any emotion is really, a, initially, it was a way to use movement to explore different personality types. And over time, I learned many things came from having done that. For instance, me as a shy person, doing movement that was more um, natural for someone called the leader was very foreign and even uncomfortable for me. But over time, I realized I was creating that, those neural pathways and I was starting to embody confidence. And uh, so, let's see, I think I lost track of what your question was now. Oh, um, this body of work that I We were talking um, about just the, how, how you incorporate. I was, I was wondering if it was part of your assessment when oh, you're yes, sitting yes. with a client, yes, yes. but you use it more as when you're actually working with them to see which modality you would integrate into your coaching, your, what do you refer well, it as, treatment? 
so those are a couple of different questions now. So let me go back to the assessment. So um, that's why I got off on uh, describing any emotion on the Enneagram. So in my um, intake interview or in, when working with them, I'll, I'll either have an assessment or they have done an assessment about what their personality type might be. And I say might be because it could be a journey. Um, some people change their, they don't change their type, but they may change their awareness about what type they are. It's really useful to know that because it helps me understand how core certain issues are. You know, there's some issues that are easier to change. And then we all have some issues that are really core and we're really attached to being that way for some reason. And when that happens, when, uh, you know, there are some things that for each of us would be a lifelong learning kind of thing. And those are usually issues related to one's personality type. Those really are the ones that are so close to the bone that we felt since, um, even before birth, you know, personalities they say are there in the womb. So when we want to, um, you know, the assessment is useful to understand not just what that issue is and, and the impact that issue can have on one's life, but to also understand the depths of it. Sometimes it's hard for us to understand why it's so hard for someone else to change. And I think the deeper the issue, the older, the longer ago it happened, the harder it is to change. And when we understand, uh, you know, the assessment helps point us to what that particular issue is, which is probably the underlying issue to all these other crazy things that might be going on right now. And so in working with my clients, uh, uh, it guide, knowing that guides me in terms of how I work for sure. Well, I just, I think the work that you're doing is just foundationally so interesting and, and so needed. And I would love to uh, ask you, if you let us know, Where's the best way to reach you? And do you have any upcoming events or things that you could share with us? Well, thank you. Yes, I have two things I'd like to tell our listeners about. One is uh, an event, a live event I have coming up February 4th to the 7th in Colorado. It's in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains at a beautiful location. And it's, uh, it's the emotional intelligence experience. And we're going to do the two bodies of work that I described uh, using any emotion to explore the Enneagram. But more particularly, it helps you embody whatever it is you want more of, whether it's confidence or inner peace or connection to others or believing in yourself. And I could go on and on. But it's about embodying what you want more of in your life. And the other tool is what I use in my coaching, which is about transforming disturbing emotion into their healthy antidotes. It's, it's fun. It's real engaging. Uh, you get to do the mudras and mantras um, a lot and create you, uh, very deeply personal mantras for your own personal change. And it is lasting change. That's the name of my chapter, Body Wisdom for Lasting Change, because we are changing the brain. So we get to do that live at February 4th to the 7th. And for more information, you can go to tinyurl.com slash EQ with BQ. That's emotional intelligence with body intelligence. I'll say that again. For the live event, more info is at tinyurl.com slash EQ with BQ. And I do have a gift for our listeners. I'm working on my book, and I have Chapter 1 that is ready to go. And it's uh, available as an audio, and the transcript will be ready very soon. If you want, uh, both will be available to you. If you want that free gift, you can get that by going to tinyurl.com, key to happy intro. I'll say that again. tinyurl.com slash key to happy intro. And, you know, I'm really delighted with that name. I'm not sure that's the, um, that will end up being the title of the book. It's my working title for now. 
But I've been asking myself over and over and over again, like, what's the name of your book? What's the name of your book? What's the, t- what's the title? What's the title? And I, I, I just let go of it for a while. I'm just doing the writing. But I keep asking myself, who do I serve? And what's the reason for doing this work? And why do people want this? And I realize that a value that I have come to hold high, which was not a value when I was young, is happiness. I used to think that people were happy, who were happy were superficial and they weren't really um, learning from those deep, really profound emotions, some of which, yes, were sad or disturbing. But I, I like the realm of all emotion and so I sometimes got stuck in the disturbing ones. And didn't, I didn't value happiness. And that meant I didn't really have a lot of it. And I kind of woke up one day and realized that's not the life I want. And if I don't learn how to change this, change my emotional world and learn how to let go of those emotions that I really didn't enjoy that much, then I was doomed never to be happy. And when I saw that in my head, I thought, oh, that is not the life I want. And I think that's one of the reasons I created this work because it uh, it gave me tools. And this is why I know it's lasting change because it has been lasting for me and, and now for the thousands of people I've worked with around the world it does create lasting change. And I, and, the, and I recognize that happiness is a value I hold high. So uh, right now it's called Key to Happy, and you can get the free gift at tinyurl.com slash key to happy intro. Well, and I, that is such a beautiful story. And, and just for you to share, you know, your own personal journey, it's interesting how we land up doing what we do in our lives as adults. And I think there's always a foundational piece of our childhood and and the core beliefs and just the whole experience we had growing up and all the different exposures that we've had. But I, it's, I'm sitting here smiling as you're talking because I probably get asked three times a week by people, are you really as happy as you, you know, portray on Facebook? And I laugh and I think, Mm. so now what you post on Facebook is, is what people uh, deem of you, but you know, the world is changing And technology certainly has a dominant place if you allow it to. But I'm happy that you've made the choice to be happy. And it sounds like you're really really helping a lot of your clients with the beautiful work. And I know you're always creating and running programs. And I think it's just something that you've been gifted with. But you've got the foundation of your own experience, which, Andre, I don't think you could be more genuine or, or authentic for the service that you're doing. Oh, thank you, Deb. That's really great to hear. So well, you know, I we, think have we're a, best we have teaching. a couple of minutes. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I think we're best teaching what we most need to learn. I I fully agree with you. I think mentorship is the best relay, the, the best way to relay education is through experience, which really, to me, um, look at Jim Britt and Jim Lutz and how they're mentoring all of us. It's a gift. So, I just wanted to um, ask you just really quickly. We've got a couple of minutes left. You've uh, joined a very powerful global community. We are now on book 11. We are now in 23 countries. You've got Jim Lutz and Jim Britt, a phone call or an email away. Tell us quickly what excites you about that. Well, I think it's part of how you introduced it. It's, it is a global community of people not just interested in, but having tools to deal with change. And change is the only constant in life. And, and you know, we each resonate with something different. And I think one of the wonderful things about the whole series and all of the different approaches is that people can find something that they do resonate with. 
And I, I don't believe there's only one way. I b- do believe in my way, and also I reach out to other systems now and then too. But uh, the point is there's so much, and it's all being accumulated in one place essentially. And so there really is something for everybody. And I think, you know, it's a way to change the planet. We're on it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I look forward to you and I having a, a follow-up uh, coffee together on Skype and and seeing what we can shake up and, and bring to Colorado. And it's just a joy to talk to you today, my friend, and I wish you Happy New Year and happy and, and on ongoing success, which I know you will have. And uh, good luck with your move. And uh, let me know when you've landed in your new place, and uh, let's create some magic together. That sounds great, Deb. Thank you for having me here today. Oh, it was my pleasure. Again, that's uh, Andrea Isaacs from Book Two, and uh, we've just had a delightful half hour together. And I just want to take an opportunity before I I move into our our next co-author. I want to talk about what is the outcome of being part of this global community? And I know that you see posts and different things from Jim Britt and Jim Lutz, but I just want to give you my own personal and professional viewpoint, if I, if I may, of, of how you can, I call it pole vaulting into the global community. I came up with the concept for Soul Women on the Go conference about five months ago, and I've just been reaching out and talking to different co-authors. So we're going to start in California in April, and I'm working with Tamara Renee, Stacey Carnaludi, Asha Mankowska, all from California. Jim Britt's going to be our keynote speaker. Sherry Brantley from Arizona is going to be our master of ceremonies. So we've got six, seven of us, all from different books in the Change Book series. And then we're going to Georgia with Tracy Randall and uh, Dr. Carolyn Butler. We're going to do Missouri in the fall with Anita Eggers-Brooks and Angie Taylor. Texas with Kay Sanders, Rich Perry, Lawrence Pipkin, uh, Glenda Fleming, Sandy Mitchell. And then I'm working on speaking in Dubai. Again, I reached out, everybody. I picked up the phone like Jim Luke. What are you waiting for? Johnny Mornay, our Dubai co-author. And then I'm going to go to Hawaii because I want to work with Emmy Augustine and I want to work with Kim Lucien. So I'm just, I'm hoping today you're hearing the excitement and the emotion in my voice. Pick up the phone, collaborate, create what you're dreaming about. Because like Andrea said, the only thing you have in life that's constant is to change and be the best version of yourself every single day. I reach out to three new people every day, and I pride myself on getting to know all of the co-authors in the Change Book series, and and not from having the radio show, but just from reaching out and getting to know and, and valuing relationships. So on that note, let me move into our, our second guest. It's Jeannie Cisco meth and she is another one of my Book 5 buddies. And I'd like to introduce her before we welcome her to the show. And Jeannie's chapter really resonated with me. And I'd like to read her bio to you. When Jeannie was a young girl, everyone knew she was different. When she got into school, the the labeling began. She had so many learning disabilities and physical differences that she stood out. She was dyslexic. She couldn't talk very well. She was legally blind. And by the eighth grade, she was six feet tall, she was a cancer survivor, 
and the list goes on. She was told she would never amount to much. She remembers sitting in the classroom with her parents and teachers to the discussion about the digital future. Jeannie and her parents had different ideas. Delbert and Martha, Jeannie's parents, did not spend so much time, money, emotional stress, battling childhood cancer with Jeannie to give up on her. They knew she would find a way. When Jeannie got into high school, she decided she was not going to let someone else tell her how her future was going to be. She sought out the tools that helped her graduate high school, and then she went on to college. She was the first in her family to graduate from a four-year university. So, Jeannie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Deb. I am so excited to be here. Thank you, well, thank you, thank you. Are, are, do you got your hat on during the interview? Your signature hat? <laughs> of course hat? I have my hat on. <laughs> Excellent. Of course. <laughs> now, you and, I, you and I have had a couple of conversations, and we're in book five together. So I read your chapter back when our book came out in the summer, and I, I reread it again last night. And, you know, you, to me, are just the epitome of a strong, independent woman. You, you have not let people or barriers or anything stand in your way. And I just, I'm so glad that you're, you're doing what you're doing. And I would just love for you to tell the listeners where your area of passion is and what you do every day that makes you get out of bed and, and let the world know who Jeannie is. So, so tell the listeners what you do. I the the first thing that came to mind when you were saying that was my head is bloodied but unbowed, and um, you know it's I love that Invictus I love that that poem and I have that poem you know on my mirror and I look at it every day and it's the thought of losing one more person to suicide that it rips my heart out every time. I was a high school teacher for 17 years and um, low self-esteem has to stop now. (laughs) And I know my chapter in the book was a little bit different. It was more about, you know, creating the life you desire, the relationships that you desire. And my platform is more, uh, is is called bullyproofing you, but it's all ties together. It's, it's empowering people so that they know they are important, that they know they're valuable, that they know they're needed in this time and space, whether it's, you know, in a bad relationship or whether it's a a bad relationship with yourself or a boss or whatever. Um, My message is to let as many people know that they are valuable and they are needed. Well, and I, I don't know about the U.S., but I can tell you in Canada mental health is is not on the rise it it has plateaued to a level that in certain provinces i think it has spiraled i think it's difficult for employers to to recognize it and i don't think there's enough education i don't think there's enough advocacy so i am happy that you are out there standing on a on on your soapbox not that you need it at 16 tall <laughs> but i, <know. laughs> I think I think your message is so powerful and inspiring and you would be one of those speakers that if one if one child in that audience took away a nugget you essentially could have saved their life like that's just such a powerful platform to be part of but but you get it from everything you experienced as a child where where do you think that strength came from 
I think, uh, I don't know. My, my parents will tell you many different reasons. <laughs> you know, it's, it's different having a child of tenacity and it's different being a person of tenacity, tenacity. I don't know how, you know, there's tomato, tomato, right? <laughs> um, but it's, I think it just came from, from, you know, there's, oh, that's a really good question. And I know I'm struggling with it because you have that question of is it nurture or is it nature, right? And my belief is that we make a decision to like ourselves. Now, when I was growing up, I did not have a good self-esteem, a good personal value, as I call it in my trainings. Um, I did not like myself. However, I found great pleasure in being physically strong. I was not very mentally, uh, everything mentally challenged me. Oh, my goodness. It was not my strong suit. And so I learned very quickly that I could excel at the physical side of things. I was tall. I was six feet tall. I was grew up on a dairy farm so I could buck hay and carry grain and, you know, milk cows. And, and so um, I learned very early that I could do things physically that most people couldn't do. And so I found a lot of value in in that and i think each person i don't think there's a single person that goes through life unscathed there's always problems there's always challenges and in fact my husband was reminding me of that last night with our son we have a six foot ten son who's being recruited very heavily for basketball next year then it looks like he's going to be going out of state and those come with different challenges and and if if there's if nobody gets anything else from my message at all but this it is that you can survive you can survive and not only can you survive but you can thrive and it starts with the decision that i'm special and i'm going to be okay i'm going to make it i have a dream and i'm going to make it and and if if more people believed that, we would not have the violence and abuse that we do today. And and I agree with you. And I, you know, I'm sitting listening just to the strength of your words. And you're just, you're one of those eternal optimists who always can find success or a lesson in, in everything you're trying to do or accomplish. And I just, I think a lot of people would look to you and think, how does she do it? But you're you're loving teaching people and and you want to help them and make a difference in their lives and and I I see you doing that but I just I see you know when I'm watching your website and I'm looking at some of the things that you've done online you you just have a smile and it's kind of like hey I made it and that's got to <laughs> feel good <laughs> And it's, it's, you know, and the behind the, I, I heard you talking earlier with uh, Andrea Isaacs and, and, you know, is, is that real? Yeah, I am happy all the time, but my head is bloodied from time to time as well. And it's that ability to step back and say, okay, what, what am I doing here and why am I doing it? My purpose in life is to teach. It really is. Um, when I was in the military, I spent uh, four years in, in the Army, and I loved the organization. I loved 
you know, the simplicity of how they broke things down. And so when I left the military and went into teaching, which had been my goal from the beginning, um, it was easier to work in the population that I did. I worked with at an alternative high, which is kids that are in gangs. Um, you know, they're in the system because of, of legal issues. But because of that background of learning how to break things down into step-by-step and just say, okay, we're going to start here, step one. Okay, now we're going to go to step two. So many people look at the whole mountain they have to climb. You know, you're sitting there at your desk. Maybe you're in sales. I've got 50 phone calls I've got to make. Or I've got, you know, 20 emails I need to send. Whatever it is. Don't look at the 20 of them. Look at one. I've got one email to send. I've got one sales phone call to make. I've got one person to contact, whatever it is, one. And then celebrate. So many people do not celebrate. And that is something that I learned about four years ago. And you have to celebrate. Yay, I made my my phone call. <laughs> and then it helps you get to your next phone call. And and it's that decision to this is this is what I'm doing and this is what I take, what it takes because every dream has icky parts, uh, you know life has icky parts. Period. What are you focusing on? Is it the icky parts or is it the good parts? Because right now in this moment, I could give you a list of ten things that are icky in my life right now. I can also give you a list of ten things that are absolutely incredible about my life right now. That's what I choose to focus on, the incredible part. You have to deal with the icky part, but I focus mostly on the incredible part. Well, then I know I'm in good company. So I, I, have, uh, I have a little bit of a special um, thing for you. It's probably not the best word, but I'm living in the moment here. I did a little bit of research for you. And oh, okay. I want I wanted you to know that I think being dyslexic is um, quite interesting, and I wanted to do some research because I knew a little bit. I had a friend in high school who was dyslexic, but thinking I did to prepare for our interview, I wanted you to know that you are in some good company. Richard Branson is dyslexic, and he has a quote that I would love to read to you. And he says, he says, quote, Perhaps my early problems with dyslexia made me more intuitive because when someone sends me a written proposal, rather than dwelling on detailed facts and figures, I find that my imagination grasps and then I expand on everything I read. So That's beautiful. Yeah. Well, and Thomas Edison, I love it. He, he says, quote, I haven't failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that won't work. But my favorite of all is um, Leonardo da Vinci. He said, quote, you should prefer a good scientist without literacy abilities than a literate literate one without scientific skills. That's my favorite. (laughs) Yeah. I was having a conversation with my dad about you know, and we were, he was talking about, isn't it interesting that one of the most difficult times of your life was school and you became a school teacher. And I said, because I wanted to help people. I wanted to teach the skills that I had to teach myself to others. You know, it, it's, and it, you have your challenge and it will either make you or break you. And if it makes you, it makes you big, go big. And if you let it break you, it can break you bad. 
but you have a choice. You don't need to let it break you. Well, I'll share with you my senior year of high school. My English teacher told me that my writing was pitiful. So I wrote, I co-authored two books last year. I have a weekly blog that gets quite a quite a decent readership and, and lots yeah. of uh, kudos. But you know what? Uh, my kids call me the queen of getting back up. And I don't Good. let Good. anything, I, I always look at failure. You know, that acronym, It's I've seen it many times, first attempt in learning. That's what fail stands for. It doesn't define who you are. It's like, it's like um, Thomas Edison said, so you found a way that doesn't work. But I want to take this one step further, because you look at someone like Walt Disney, from a business sense, you know, he went bankrupt right, three yeah. times. He was dyslexic. Yeah. And he said, one of his famous quotes is, of all of our inventions for mass communication, pictures still speak the most universally understood language because that is how we learn we learn by pictures we don't learn by words it's a different cognitive process in our brain and I just I look at it's similar we have a lot in common I landed up working in in the medical industry and I had so many people say to me you can't do that because you're not a nurse and I said I will do that because I'm not a nurse I'm going to think outside the box I'm going to be that problem solver and like you, only see the light at the end of the tunnel and not the hurdles along the way, because I'm just going to jump over them. And that's what you've done. Right, yeah. And it's, and I'm still jumping hurdles, and that's what life is all about. You know, I thought, hey, once you get to this level, there's, you know, there's not going to be any more hurdles. That's not true. There's always hurdles. You just keep growing, and the things that used to be hurdles are now just little bumps that you don't even notice anymore. And so the the biggest, I think the biggest thing in in overcoming adversity or in overcoming challenges is focus on your dream. Focus on what you want. Because if you can focus on what you want, you know, just like you said, those obstacles, you don't see those obstacles. You know, also it's like, oh, wait, what was, what was this? And then you can just deal with it and go around it. Whereas the people who stop are the ones who focus on the obstacles. And so spend time every day dreaming your dream. You know, spend some time thinking about it, spend some time researching it, you know, spend some time sitting in it, marinating in it, as one of my my mentor says, just marinating in it and, and feeling it and seeing what it looks like. And, you know, I remember envisioning the first time getting on stage. And then the first time I got in stage, I was like, wow, I've, I've been here before. <laughs> Maybe not physically, but definitely in my mind. And it helps tremendously. You know, there's still fear. There's still jitterbugs, you know, um, whenever I, I get ready to go on stage or on the radio, you know, on TV, it's still fear there. But I think it helps because the blood's flowing and, you know, thought processes are flowing and it helps you deal with things better. When you hide and cower in a corner, your fear gets bigger and you shrink and the opposite needs to happen. You need to get bigger. Well, I agree with you, and I just want to make a couple points on that. 
Andrea just talked about, you know, living with your wise mind and not your emotional mind. And when I get ready to go up on stage, I still have the butterflies, but I'm in control to what level they go to. And I take three deep breaths before I get on stage. My affirmation is you're going to get on that stage, girl, and and you're going to give it 150% and live your dream and do what you do and enjoy and embrace the moment. And I think that we need to have those butterflies because I think it allows us to never let ego interfere with who we really are authentically, but always be humble that this is a gift that we have. And I truly believe that everything you went through has just transformed you and and you're able to look into these, you know, young adults' uh, eyes as you look out in the audience and authentically say, like, was there but here's where I am now and and you can come join me is that is that kind of a fair assessment of how you feel when you get up and talk and and what's your takeaway when you get off the stage I do I um I have two platforms one is I work with businesses creating a more respectful workplace and then the other one is is with the the teenagers the young youth groups and schools high schools and middle schools and the message is the same the delivery is a little bit different but I love working with the youth groups I really do Um, especially the at-risk kids because when you help them you change generations. It's not just one touch. Um, and I, I love the light bulb moments, as I call them. You know, they, they keep me going to the next. You, you're looking out and you're connecting with the audience and you're seeing them finally realize, you know, when your personal value is a decision that you make about yourself. And the first time I, I say that, they look kind of funny like, What? And then you start to give examples and I start to build on that and I, you know, and I help them really realize it is a decision that you make. And when they get that, and that light bulb goes off and then they decide to start that process of liking themselves. Oh man, I got goosebumps all over. It's the most incredible feeling to know that that person is bullyproof because they know they're valuable they will no longer be bullied by whoever it is that has been bullying. The biggest bully, and this is my next book that's coming out, I'm working on it now, is called Bully Proofing You, Taming the Bully Between Your Ears, because we are the worst bullies of anyone most of the time. And and I love, I, everybody has a purpose and everybody has a mission. And if they could have believed in themselves and follow their mission, there would be a lot more light and a lot more love in this world. I'm sitting here smiling because I'm I'm just feeling a serendipitous moment with you because you're changing generations and I'm shifting a culture. So I don't think we could be more aligned in the work that we're doing. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I, I love what you were you were saying earlier, you know, um when you were introducing me when you were talking about the book. I remember when I got the phone call from Jim Britt, you know, talking about, Hey, we, we launched the chicken soup for the soul, we're looking at launching another book series, would you be interested? And I was like, Oh yeah, twist my arm <laughs> You know, oh yeah, yeah, please. 
and and I so enjoy um you know the Facebook page and seeing what other people are doing and seeing how they're changing the world and and you know not only their life everybody in the book has gone through their own stage of change and how they've used that to help others and and it's so desperately needed in the world at this time. We need those change agents that are making the world better. And I just feel so blessed to be a part of this community. I feel so blessed to have my name on the front of book five. And and I just, I'm so grateful. And I just, I thank the Lord for the, the places he has led me to. Well, and, and you're another one of my book five buddies, so I, I love to promote my book five buddies. You know that. Yes. So yes, and I, I want to I want to ask you, could you let our listeners know about your website and maybe some programs or where you're speaking or kind of what's on your slate for this year? What are you what are you looking at doing in addition to your book? So what I would love love for everybody listening to do is go to the website bullyproofingyou. That's you like the university dot com. I've got some free videos on there. Please please go pick up a copy, and um, you can also go to bullyproofingyou. That will connect you to my book. And I also have Jeannie Cisco Meth. I'm in the process of rebranding it and pulling together into one website instead of having all the different websites. But um, I love those free giveaways on the Bullyproofing You. And uh, go check them out. Get some free ones. Or shoot me an email, uh, Jeannie at JeannieCiscoMeth.com. And um, just say, hey, I heard you with Mama Deb. <laughs> And um, on the change radio, and I'll get those. I've got some free giveaways that I'd love to send out. I've got a a report and a video, the five, the four steps to bullyproofing you. Or if you find yourself in a difficult relationship, um, which is what my my chapter was about, changing my my personal life and my relationships. Um, just let me know. I you know, send me an email. I constantly give away thirty minute consultations and coaching. I, I just love to help, <laughs> and I, I truly believe in give, and the rest will follow, and that is what has happened this year. You know, uh, last year, I started giving away, and I've, I've, I'm a Christian, and so I had, when I first started this journey three years ago, I told the Lord every tenth talk I'd give away for free, and then the next year, and I did okay, and the next year I changed it, and I decided I couldn't outgive the Lord, and so I started giving first instead of receiving and then giving, and it absolutely um, totally changed everything for me last year. It just has totally, um, the speaking engagements are coming in frequently, and it's absolutely phenomenal. I so I so enjoy it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Well, you know, my Irish Nana taught me that everything you've said and encompassed in this interview, do what you love and the money will always come. And there's those people out there that will need you in service and may not be able to pay you, but they're brought into your life for a reason. So even when I was case managing, I always carried anywhere from four to six different people on my caseload pro bono. And I got more out of the work I did with those people and their families than I did 
on a whole from the files that I did make money because it's a completely different relationship. You're still giving of yourself and your expertise and, and your mentorship, but it's something that I can't really put into words. And it's funny you said that because I, I'm a very busy person like you. And I realized that I hadn't volunteered in a couple of years and I'm just returning uh, to volunteering in my city. And I, I just, I prayed about it and I thought, what could I do that would encompass all my skills? And I would just really feel that I would be value adding. And I'm actually going to work for our hospice here in London So people that are palliative and are going to pass away um, that want to do it in their home, I'm going to spend an afternoon a week uh, with someone and have intellectual conversation and play Scrabble and and just be there. And I'm just, I just feel it's where I need to be. And I'm always much like you thinking philanthropy, how can I give back? So I'm, that's one of my exciting things that I, I have going on and I meet my first lady next week and uh, she's very excited so she has already told me that uh, she's going to kick my my butt in Scrabble so I'm I'm ready (laughs) that's awesome and as a daughter of a mother who is in hospice in my home and I feel so grateful that um, you know that my mom can stay with me because of my job if I didn't have this job she wouldn't be living with me and I'm so grateful she has a volunteer that comes in once a week and plays the piano for her. She used to play the piano and sing, and she's no longer capable of doing that. And the look on her face when Jason comes and plays the piano for her is is worth every moment of pain that we have together. And, and you know, if he hadn't chosen to volunteer, just like you're choosing to volunteer, we wouldn't have that joy and that pain, you know, that, that pleasure that helps that helps you get through the tough times. So I commend you on what you're doing and I thank you um you know as a person in that position I just thank you so much. That's so valuable. So valuable. Well, our the serendipity that you and I have, I I knew we had some but after this interview I think you and I are going to have to talk about aligning and doing something together. So you you just keep doing what you're doing, Jeannie Cisco Mass, because I just think you're a gift to society. I think you're one of those people that is a true contributing member to society. And just remember that no one will ever do it as well as you are. And I wish you all the success and abundance this year and look forward to chatting to you soon. And I thank you so much for spending the last half hour with me. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Deb. I just, I so appreciate it. And if there's anything that I can do for you or your listeners, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. Um, I love those stories that I get that say, hey, you know, you taught me this and I used it and it changed my child's life or it changed my life. And that's what I live for. And so if I can be of any service in any way, please do not hesitate to reach out to me. Well, I certainly will reach out and I hope you have a great day and let's let's chat again soon. And uh, all the best with your mom. Thank you. The same to you. Thank you so much. Take care, Jeannie. You as well. So we've just had another amazing power hour on the Change Book Radio Show. And I just get so much education and little nuggets that I take away. 
each week from this show. So I hope that you enjoyed the last hour with Andrea Isaacs from book two and Jeannie Cisco meth from book five. And I look forward to having you join me next week, January 20th at 1.30 Eastern Standard Time. This is Deb Crow, your work-life balance specialist. And thanks for tuning in to the Change Book Radio Show. Have a great day, everyone, and be awesome. <laughs>